Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. Join us for this all-access pass backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live event industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to incredible guests who journey with us as we dive deep into the world of venues, tours, festivals, and everything in between. Grab your laminate and meet us in Venue Land. Today's adventure takes us to Austin, Texas. We're going to check in with a woman who has extensive experience in digital strategy, branding, ad tech analytics, and paid media. We're talking about Lillian Lee. She's the VP of Digital Marketing and Strategy at Fivo. Lillian, thanks for making the time. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, we've been uh, excited to talk to you for a little bit here, but but let's let's start with the person who's never heard of Fivo. Uh, what exactly is Fivo in 2024? Oh gosh, we just we just had our sales kickoff actually, and one of the one of the sessions was like, you know, if you can't pitch Fivo in like thirty seconds, that's actually a good thing. We we do quite a lot here, um, but Fivo, so you're, you're you're under pressure here. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm like, put a timer on. Um, Fivo largely is an e-commerce company. Um, we specialize right now in professional sports ticketing, um, largely, um, but we're looking at, always looking at avenues to expand. So, um, it's about digitizing, um, an industry. It's about revolutionizing, if you will, the, the checkout process online and, and making shopping online a little bit more fun, a little bit more fluid. So yeah, lots, lots of avenues to go down there, but that's, that's the quick and quick and dirty of it. So you got it in in under 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your role there as as VP of Digital Marketing and Strategy. What is it you do for FIBO? Yeah, so um, it's a little bit of internal marketing, um, you know, brand strategies, anything that touches the the digital space, which, you know, being an online e-commerce company is like uh, every everything, you know, it's like the marketing right. umbrella that keeps growing and expanding, as I'm sure you guys know. Um, so anything uh, web presence wise um, and then, you know, going into product marketing, email marketing. Um, we also have a client marketing services team that helps um, our partners optimize their FIVO campaigns with their marketing spends in like a consultative manner. So lots of, lots of, how do I say it? Lots of hats worn under the (laughs) Yes. Endless hats, as we all know so well. Yeah. So you're working with, or or FIVO, I should say, is working with all these different sports teams. You know, is it, is it all the major, you know, professional leagues? Is it, you know, certain ones? Are you kind of seeing certain leagues adopt it faster maybe than others? Yeah, totally. We we have a large share of professional sports teams using FIVO as well as uh, college athletics, minor leagues, and a few other uh, one-off music festivals and, and sure. promoter brands as well. We have a big, pretty big presence in the Vegas nightlife scene um, and motorsports as well. So we work with NASCAR and Speedway Motorsports um, and things like that. So um, it really runs the gamut for, and we really call it like a, an experiences company, right? So yeah. we're not exclusive to one team or one league over another. Um, but in terms of adoption, market share wise, I think we have a pretty good grasp. I think the next big challenge for us is going deep, um, cross departmentally with these orgs, 
or just getting, you know, activation and adoption on the platform with all the new features that we're pushing out. You know, we obviously, you know, we don't get paid for doing this. And so <laughs> uh, Paul and I are just volunteers. So we we have no financial interest, but I'm just curious, you know, about the company and things. So so what, what makes Fibo different than the other, you know, the other folks out there doing the same kind of stuff? Yeah, I think if we want to talk about the the ticketing space, I think I, I my background comes from a subsect of ticketing. I used to be um, in music festival ticketing at Frankie Tickets. And what we're trying to do here at Fibo is like take some of these models that have been around for a while in the ticketing space and kind of turn it up, upend it, turn it around, you know, flip it on its side and see how can we make that process of buying tickets, coordinating with friends, um, you know, buying 10 tickets and not having to Venmo back and forth and making sure that, you know, Paul, don't drop out at the last minute or you're, you owe me 150 bucks type thing. Um, making that process a little bit easier, a little bit more like seamless, um, less clunky, less cumbersome. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like, if we can make that online process of purchasing tickets or, you know, buying anything online a little bit more interconnected with the people that you're shopping with, coordinating with, um, I think all parties kind of like see the upside in that. I like the approach of sort of trying to take a fresh look at things. You know, I think when we look at the live event industry, so much is just evolved out of what things have been over time, you know, even sure. uh, ticketing platforms, you know, obviously it's, they were way back in the day before my time in it, but they were doing hard tickets and then they were doing this like DOS matrix style ticketing. And totally. there's still people that know how to do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it does seem like, how do we, how do we improve this machine? And so I like the idea of like, maybe we just build a better machine. Maybe it's not improving. <laughs> maybe take all the best parts of the machine and make yeah. a better transformer machine. Yeah. That's yeah. Cause sometimes I think we're, we're in the thick of it so much that it's always just like, how can we make what we're already doing more efficient? And we don't often have the time or space to take a step back and say, well, maybe what we're doing is not the most efficient. How do we reinvent that? So I like the approach to kind of making it a little more like welcoming and a little more interactive and and enjoyable for fans because I'm sure we all hear just uh, ticketing, you know, often is misconception of fans, but that is usually like one of the most pain points, you know, for people when they're trying to purchase a ticket. You know? sure. Yeah, I think there's a time and a place for like a quick transaction of, you know, I, we, we always liken it to like, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to buy 12 rolls of toilet paper, you can go on Amazon, buy one click and have it shipped to your door the next day. And that's, that's great and fine, but it's like a super solitary experience, right? You're just like right. very utilitarian versus, you know, in an experiences world where you're trying to go with friends or, or there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of moving funds, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think the idea of making this very virtual 2D kind of world, a little bit more personal is the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So we got the got the kind of big overview on what your job is, but but what do you actually do? <laughs> what, <laughs> what do, I do? What's a, what, what's a week like for you? Are you working from home? Are you working in the office? And what kind of what's your what's your workflow? You yeah. Travel so, some, right? <laughs> since Vivo, um, it's been completely remote. We're a totally remote workplace, which has been super fun and and even pre-COVID, that's always been the case. But, you know, since COVID and the post-COVID world, if you will, post-COVID, if that's a thing, um, everybody's kind of remote. We have lots of folks in all different places, and um, that's been really nice to have that kind of reach and have different 
connections in different pockets of the world. Um, that's been really cool to experience. Um, but in terms of like a week in my life, I mean, it's, it's a very low key life. I feel like I'm in this room for a large part of it. Um, (laughs) but yeah, the, for work, the week is kind of variable. Like we have, you know, our standards standups and we're a pretty zoom heavy company just because of the remote work policy. Um, it's nice to get FaceTime, um, in that way. But other than that, the, the week is pretty low key. Uh, I have a dog, I have a girlfriend and that, that really rounds out the rest of the hours <laughs> of the day. We're looking at your awesome Casey Musgraves poster on your wall, oh, which I love. I'm a big poster fan. Oh, what is that other one? That's Beyonce, the queen. Oh, Beyonce. Oh, that, that little unknown <laughs> artist. Yeah. You know her. <laughs> the queen bay. Yeah. 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 So, if I have the time, I'll pick up the guitar every now and then. But oh, so you do dabble with it? Okay, I mean, you know, sometimes people dabble. have them on the wall for show because they're in this industry. But you actually <laughs> uh, will pick it up, serenade your coworkers via Zoom. Yeah, um, I graduated with a music degree to my parents' dismay, but that was fun. That was super fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a fun conversation to have at eighteen, but also a fun experience in college and then you know went into the music industry and now i'm in you know now in a side side world of ticketing which has been fun and a fun transition yeah, definitely when i would get into that a little bit but before that so who are you working with mostly are you working with with just FIBO? are you talking to venues are you talking with the teams who how are you know what's what's kind of your uh you know your area that you're really focused on throughout the days yeah it's a lot of um you know my my team is really on the front lines of of uh, communications like product marketing or email marketing with our clients, um, all of the updates that we're making internally to the product, to operations and things like that. My team's making sure that um, internally our team is aware of what's going on as well as our clients. Um, so my stake in the game is really like cross-departmental operations, processes, making sure that my team feels represented, has its you know seat at the table in any sort of like big conversations that are happening internally. And then I come from a client marketing services side of the house so that that my team there has a special place in my heart. So I love interfacing with clients. I love, you know, getting in the weeds with what their goals are, what their org looks like, what tools they have in their tool belt to work with and what magic we can make happen. Um, that's always a fun part of the job. But yeah, it's it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of a, maybe like 60, 40 internal versus client facing stuff. Sure. But yeah, a lot of fun. I'm sure you see a wide variety of setups and organizations too. I mean, you're talking ticketing and marketing. There's people that maybe have like one person working in each of those departments to teams that might have 40 in each of those departments. And, you know, it's kind of, it is fascinating. I find fascinating to see how some uh, people organize and especially to try to adapt, you know, now you have people that are just over branding or you have people that are very specifically kind of niche on, uh, social media uh, roles or something like that that wasn't always the case but I'm sure that's kind of fascinating to see how how these different uh, teams or groups or organizations are all sort of approaching it in a hundred different ways and hopefully, hopefully they work you know it's always the the paradox of the the larger the establishment the less they want to hands-on approach and the smaller right. the, the team or the org, the the more hands-on you have to be or the more white glove service you you should be. You know, yeah. it's a little bit of like how much do I invest for the payout type thing. But at the at the end of the day, I think the 
the approaches like definitely custom for each team, each org. And it's to your point, Paul, like very interesting to see even within the same league, how different the departments are made up. Sometimes we don't talk to the marketing team and sometimes we do. Largely it's the group sales team or maybe it's just the ticket ops team to set up the inventory, right? It, it totally runs the gamut. Um, and then you flip side to like the music side of the house or the music festival side of the house or the um, concert and venue side of the house. And it's uh, it's marketing doesn't mean the same in those right. sure. worlds. So it's just, it's just, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. What are you kind of seeing as you know, there was that huge post-pandemic surge uh, of tickets uh, where, where you couldn't uh, put a show on sale without breaking records? Uh, are you seeing these trends continue and, and the live entertainment, you know, just the, I don't know, the draw of it continue just to be such a, a huge thing? Or how are you seeing that trending? I think live events will always be a hot ticket item, right? Like, I, I don't think that's going anywhere. I do think promoters and orgs are trying different things and being more creative and letting go of some of the more traditional ways of selling and marketing to tap into interest and tap into, you know, consumer psyche, if you will. Um, so, you know, we've seen teams or orgs that haven't been digital previously um, hit the market with like promo sales and discount codes or take advantage of Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Like that's that's never been the case for them before. And they're just finding net new ways or net new audiences to, to bring into their world. And then I think a lot of our teams and a lot of our orgs are hyper-focused on making that experience once they're in the venue or in the arena or, or what, what have you, like exceptionally memorable. Um, whereas I feel like prior to, you know, this post-COVID world, there was a lot of, I don't want to say resting on laurels, but leaning on the brand name to bring people in the door. And then, you know, the team plays as the team plays and that's great. But I think right. since then, there's a lot of focus on what can we do on the concourse? What can we do at the halftime? Yeah. What can we do? You know, there's so many different opportunities and real estate and, and you know, time in venue that I think people are taking advantage of more and more. Yeah, and I think that's a mix, too, of both a a demand by the consumer. You know, I, I think also there is this kind of, as more venues are doing this, now, you know, you buy a ticket and you go to a show and you're like, oh, they don't have a photo op? Like, every other totally. venue has a photo op now. You know, like, <laughs> so I think it's like, we've probably all, like, hurt ourselves by raising that <laughs> higher. Yeah. Um, but I do think it is becoming this more of, you know, part of that is this, you know, I don't know, it sounds very old school, but like, you know, this new generation, this new sharing kind of thing, this creating this experience, you know, beyond live events, I think that is this thing that people demand they want. And so it, it's kind of matching that that overall trend, but then also, of course, competing against every other venue. And, 100%. you know, you're not just going to a concert to see Elton John, you're going in and now you can put on sunglasses that look like you are Elton John, or, you know, it's like, it's, it's this whole thing that, you know, people are now expected to do because it's, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how long that lasts or what evolution it takes. You know, I think uh, we always see those things kind of evolve over time and, totally. and uh, you know, they're getting more creative, which is really fun. Yeah, totally. You know, it's so funny after coming to EVMC and meeting so many venue marketers, it makes my experience in venues, in arenas that much more like analytical 
you know, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, walking sure. around the con- you know, walking around the concourse and be like, man, it you know, that- you. it breaks your mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't <laughs> go to a normal event setup. without being like, oh, that's what they're putting on their women for. Right. Well, oh, you know, so <laughs> more so I just hear yeah. about, or you know, I, I feel like um at the conference we feature so many like um, you know, award-winning interactive displays and and in-venue kind of experiences that when I go to one that's you know not as up to snuff i'm like yeah, yeah one more <laughs> yeah yeah you guys really phoned it in on this one <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> it's true i mean it's kind of the cool thing about it uh you know speaking of travels are you are you a texan by birth i am not a texan by birth i moved to texas sight unseen after college which is wild but i am from new jersey born and raised and went to school in new york city and then Moved to Austin back in 2013. So I've been here for about coming up on 10, 12, 11 years. Sort of that early on that Austin wave too, right? Like, I, I know, mean, I guess Austin's I... been growing so much for probably more than 10 years, but it seems like it has exponentially boomed in the last Yeah, the years. boom of it for the past maybe like five, five, six. Yeah. Um, and definitely after COVID or because of COVID. But yeah, that's that's when I kick myself of being like, man, I should have bought a house ten years ago. But then, you know, Damn it. like twenty two years old, like I didn't have money for a house. What am I doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you have no idea how much money you have. Right, right. Yeah. All right. So you're going to NYU. You're studying music. How do you end up in Austin, Texas? Um. Well, you know, part of the curriculum at NYU, which I was overwhelmed with at the time, but really thankful for afterwards was it was split up into basically three sections or three types of courses you had or four, I guess Um, you had your like music business. I went to school for music business, but you had your part of the curriculum set up for music business classes. So you had your like one-on-ones of publishing and, and um, entertainment law and record label and, and all that stuff. So that was really fun. Gave you like a sneak peek into what you might want to go into, you know, music publishing or supervision or stuff like that. Um, and then you had your business courses. So you did your finance, your accounting, your management, all that stuff. And then you had your music theory classes, which was wild. Um, so you had to do like oral comprehension and keyboard harmony and, and all that stuff. So that was fun. And the other part of it was just internships. Um, so you had a good chunk of your credit load that was dedicated to internships. So you're just like running around the city, going to different, you know, music shops and and uh, publishing houses and things like that, um, and trying to like network and you know get coffee and stuff like that. So <laughs> um, one of the internships in my junior year was with this like indie promoter um, that was doing a lot of club shows, putting on a lot of club shows in Brooklyn, um, and that was super fun because it really tapped into my minor, which was like brand marketing and, and, and largely digital marketing at the time, which is like super evolved since then. But, you know, we were putting on shows in Brooklyn and uh, putting on parties down at empire uh, garage um, in Austin for South by Southwest and closing off my senior year, they were like, okay, we're going to focus all of our time and energy into this venue. We're going to buy it. We're going to bring it up and make it a full venue you can either move with us or, you know, get another job. <laughs> so, you know, this was like 2013 and all of my friends were freaking out, not, you know, applying for jobs and not, not getting any. So I think that was like the, the theme of the job market at the time. So I was like, okay, well, we're going to pack a car and we're going to move down there. So I did that, rolled up into a venue 
And, you know, that was what I did for like a year, a year and a half, I want to say. And that, that when you're, when you're trying to open up a venue at how old was I 22, um, you're doing everything from like, Oh yeah building a stage to setting up the bar to doing admin work and helping the buyer, you know, sign gets contracts signed and, um, you know, closing out and paying artists their, you know, bundle of cash or whatever. Right. So it really, that was like a crash course into, to live events and, and the music business in general. Um, are you terrified now that they gave a 22 year old that power? I like what it you is know now. the stories that I have from that year of just like running around as a 20 year old, like doing what God knows, like, you know, you guys know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, but you can only do that. I mean, at least I could only do that when I was 22. Like thinking about how many, how little hours I slept or how many like alcoholic beverages I drank weekly, <laughs> like that was kind of crazy. That's kind of crazy to think about now because like it takes a lot to for me to like leave my house these days, you know. Right. <laughs> Amen. I, I hear that. I hear that. So what was the, what was the venue? What was it called? It's called Empire Control Room and Garage. They basically um, took this old automotive garage and renovated it and made it, you know, a a three three stage venue. So that yeah, that that experience was was you know, wild period. <laughs> you learn a lot there in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a job like that, where you can, you know, experience all those things that you would never get to do had you started, you know, in a, in a, in a big venue. Totally. So tell me, and tell me about the transition from there to Willowwood music. Oh yeah. So Willowwood was more of like a passion project. That was, um, you know, I met some friends, well, not strangers at the time during South by Southwest and we hit it off and it was two girls named Lauren and Nicola and, um, they're running a music publishing blog and I, I had a scholarship to, to NYU f- for writing. Um, and so we kind of joined forces and I was writing some pieces and helping with some of the sponsorship packages for their South by Southwest, um, showcases. But that was, I mean, that was probably like a couple years worth of time, like that, like dedicated effort. Um, but largely like a, like a passion project side hustle type thing. Um, that was super fun. It was like working with your friends and putting on parties. That's a good thing. <laughs> yes. South by Southwest so much. And obviously all of us in this industry know what that is, but what is that like being so involved on this, especially South by Southwest? I feel like it's still really huge event, but I feel like I would hear about some of these, you know, shows that were going on in that early 20 teens and it was bonkers you know people are just overflowing into all the streets you have these big bands like metallica that are doing shows that you know they go under a a secret name and you know like i'm sure it was just a otherworldly experience to kind of not only be working at a venue but also working with this other company that's kind of involved in that event you know what what was that like you know, did you know any different were you just like ah this is live events and it was chaos you know well I, I feel like I had a, a, a ramp up to South by cause I was helping put on our shows at empire from afar. Like I was doing that remotely in New York and, and reaching out to bands, seeing if they wanted to play, negotiating deals and stuff like that. But, you know, marketing the shows and working with the labels and the, the showcase, you know, promoters that wanted to host at the venue. So I had a little bit of a crash course there. Um, and then being on site, I mean, like it, it really does not compare like being an attendee, 
at South by Southwest is largely overwhelming. There's so many people, there's so <laughs> many things to do. Yeah, um, sure. Being a venue owner or, or a promoter at South by is also, uh, you know, I would uh, whole, you know everybody <laughs> has their own like beast of a time for like a week yeah. and a half. Uh, but as a venue or as a promoter, you're, you're just working with like last minute updates, changes, artists can't get to the venue or, you know, uh, schedule changes, lineup changes, staff, the sick, or, um, you know, transportation breaks down. There's just, there, there's so many things that can go wrong and it's just a mad dash. There's, it's just nonstop for a week and a half. And then as like, um, as an artist, I can't, I mean, I follow some of the artists that are playing South by like, you know, in recent years, and it's still that same kind of like, you gotta, you gotta lug your, your instrument cases and your equipment across like a gravel parking lot in a hundred degree weather to get to a venue to play for 20 minutes. And you know what I mean? But it is really fun. Like you, you do stumble upon those like thousand cap rooms playing like a a big name artist, like a Metallica or something like that, or like Brian Eno playing like his like low key DJ set uh, at like a 300 cap room. It's, it's just fun. And you just wind up having these like, once in a lifetime opportunities or experiences that you're like that this is this is crazy right <laughs> right right yeah plus it sounds like when you get you know when you are working on a venue and you just experience every imaginable hiccup and having to problem solve i mean we all know that's partly one of the things you get from just working in this industry longer is eventually you get a little desensitized to problems in a good way you know you know totally. like whatever comes along I probably have seen it before, but if not, I know not to get rattled and you kind of just take this very rational approach because you're just like, you know, this is, this is what happens, you know, and I think that's what you see maybe from people that are less experienced is they maybe get a little more knee jerky or a little more, you know, reactive, you know, when some problem happens. Um, And in reality, you know, when you go through this ringer and you're like, oh my gosh, my staff was sick or whatever it is, the artist is, you know, stuck over here, I think you have this experience where you know that, you know, no matter what comes up, you're going to find some sort of solution. Totally. Totally. And I think that only to your point comes with, uh, experience. You're either like level-headed right off the and nothing phases you, or you've seen so much, you've seen so much <laughs> and you're just like, okay, this, just this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So talk to me about getting into the world of ticketing. Cause you, after, after this, you kind of spent around, I don't know, nearly what, five years, uh, with uh, you know, a company called uh, Frontgate Tickets. Yeah, so Frontgate was fun. Um, they are a ticketing company. They were acquired by Ticketmaster like shortly after I, I joined, um, but they had been around for a while. They were an independent ticketing company and they were um, working with like promoters like C3 largely that put on Lollapalooza and you know uh, Austin City Limits and things like that. And a lot of the club shows in Austin. So uh, Frontgate was doing ticketing for that. And while I was at Empire, um, we were in the process of negotiating a deal for Frontgate to take over ticketing at Empire. So I made some contacts there. And so when I left Empire, a friend at Frontgate reached out and said, hey, there's an opening if you're interested. And that was in the digital marketing space, which was largely, you know, more technical digital media, you know, behind the everything preceding the actual event happening, which was different for me, you know. But that, yeah, that's how I kind of transitioned into the ticketing space. Um, and I went from like a part-time digital marketing coordinator to like leading the team there through the acquisition at Ticketmaster, went through like three VPs there and built out the digital marketing team and the client marketing services product suite of services, if you will. 
so yeah, that was, that was the transition into Frankie. It was, it was very, it was largely due to networking and just wanting to still be in that space, but maybe not being so in that space. <laughs> and then just before the pandemic, right, you make that transition over to FIVO. Yeah, that was fun. Um, so that story also was like a networking kind of serendipitous, uh, moment. Um, one of the clients that I had at Frontgate hired out a contractor for their marketing efforts. And that was Betty Tran, who is now FIVO COO. Um, so we had worked together on a couple projects while I was at Frontgate. Um, and then when I left Frontgate, um, I reached out to her and she at the time was doing some independent uh, contracting work still, um, like she was when I uh, was working with her at Frontgate. So I asked her, I was like, okay, this is like a very pivotal time in my career. What do I do? Do I keep, do I hit the ground, um, you know, hit the pavement and start applying for jobs in the same kind of digital marketing space? Do I want to stay in live events? Do I want to go work for myself? I could probably do this like contracting uh, thing for a while. And she really gave me kind of like the brass tacks of it. She was like, it's, it's awesome working for yourself, but it is a grind. Like she was saying, she, she, I didn't pick up, I didn't have a steady flow of things. You know, you really have to work at it for like two to three years. And at the time I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I don't know if I have the, That's the commitment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't have the commitment. I don't think I have like the grit for that. That feels, that feels a little bit, I don't know if I can be that, have that volatility in my life for two to three years. But, you know, she, she was super gracious and was like, you know, if, if jobs are coming my way and I don't have the bandwidth to handle it, I'll reach out to you. Cause you know, we have the history. I know you can handle it, all that stuff. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That sounds awesome. Not really thinking that people will give you lip service all the time in the industry, but like, I, I didn't really think about it for a while. And then I think she called me like three months later and was like, Hey, I'm getting tapped to be the CMO at this e-com company. It's a lot of what you're doing right now. We're going to roll out branding for this uh, tech company. Um, that's the project you're going to be working on. I want you to come on contractor and help me with that project. We work a lot with music festival partners. <laughs> and so when I joined, we had this new branding um, that we were trying to roll out. And uh, I realized that I got bamboozled because we had no music festival partners and it was largely sports. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was largely sports, as you guys know. Um, and so that was a big learning curve for me. You know, I played sports all my life, but I never was like fanatic about any sort of team or league or anything like that. Just like a very casual spectator. You like, you tell me who to cheer for and I'll, I'll cheer so hard for that team. You let me know. <laughs> thing. Well, I'll have a great time. Um, but yeah, very much like unaware of the leagues and the minor leagues and how many minor leagues per sport like that to me was, was net new. Um, so that was a fun learning curve. Um, and then, yeah, the transition to FIBA was, was, really easy um, yeah. in that it was, you know, it, the opportunity kind of like fell in my lap, which is, you know, very lucky to have that have happened, but the grind to learn was, was tough. And then working at a tech company versus a, um, you know, a, event ticketing company was different too, just in terms of how departments operate and how operations are, are different. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Uh, I'm sure going through that whole that whole process. What's one big takeaway you think that that you know that helped you from the live events side, kind of roll into that whole tech side of things? Um, I think Paul's point of once you see it all, there's there's not a lot that can make you lose your cool. I think 
in the live event space, you also meet a lot of people and different personalities that you have to manage and manage your own kind of boundaries with. And that was definitely something that I carried into the new space. And just honestly, like knowing that I was still pretty young, I'm still young. We're all still young gents. Um, (laughs) um, Just being open to all of the new experiences. Like you think you have a good handle on things and and there's always a better way to do something, or there's always a different way to do something to like kind of shift your perspective. So I think that that's definitely something that I've carried with me. And then just a general industry, you know, tidbit of like, never burn any bridges. That was always Amen. like aggressively hard line, hard theme to follow <laughs> for your entire career. The industry, especially ours is so small. It's so, it so, so, yeah. so small. So it's, and people it's are moving like, always. So it's like, you, you think and you, you, you may not ever run into this person again. And but you will. You're, you're hiring <laughs> them or they're hiring you or do you, you know, are on a sales call with them or something, you know? Totally. You run into them at a conference in yep. Seattle, you know? <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Lillian, you, we talked, you know, we talked a lot about your work, but at home, you mentioned the girlfriend, you mentioned uh, uh, the dog. Give us a little bit of uh, uh, Lillian home life. Oh, okay. So my dog, <laughs> let me start with the first love of my life. Um, no, I, my dog is, is a Texas street dog. I, I, I ha- I've had him for seven years, just like this past weekend. And I'm feeling very sentimental about it. And I think it's like very much a dog mom trait where you're just like looking at your very healthy dog and be like, oh my gosh, the day that you die, I will be a wrecked person forever. I'll never <laughs> recover from this. Um, but yeah, we we have a good time. He's he's very chill. His name is Copper. I don't know if I mentioned that. But oh, no, what what kind of dog? He's a Texas street dog. Here, let me show you. Texas, is that like a mutt? Oh, love him. Just a little what guy. What beautiful color? He's he looks guy. so comfortable in his little. <laughs> so many beds bed. in this house. The amount of money I've spent on dog beds in this house. Uh, let me tell you, Dave and I are both dog owners. We we feel the pain. We get it. We get it. And the love, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it, it's largely spending money on this guy. And then my girlfriend, we've met, we've been together for four and a half years. Wait, what What year is it? Four and a half years? <laughs> yeah. that's right. Four and a half years. Um, we bought a house last year. So that's been largely like our big project. So we bought a couch yesterday after wow. a year and a half it's of living serious. in this house. Getting serious. <laughs> getting serious. You know, like it's so funny because we joke about like getting engaged and all that stuff, like getting personal here, guys. But um sure getting engaged and all that stuff. And I'm like, I got an engagement house. I don't know what you're talking about. Like we've been engaged. I've got engagement an engagement couch. Yeah, yes. the couch, right? Yeah. The house and you the couch. It's a when you've yes. got a really comfy couch. Totally, I mean, really. totally, totally. Um, but yeah, she's she's also in the tech space. And so uh, I feel very lucky to have insights into like how a big tech company works. Because Fibo's, you know, I think we're at 150, just a little over 150 employees. And her company is at like, I don't know, 2000, who knows, oh, wow, man. something, yeah. something way beyond where, where we're at. So it's really interesting to compare notes on how, how different orgs are working and how different processes are working. And we mentioned music earlier and you obviously have the guitar on the wall. Are you, do you still play music? Did you like, I guess, like, how did you get into your love of music? You said that your parents kind of were not a huge fan of you majoring in it, but like, is that something you go to, you know, went to shows as a kid, you know, what, where did you find your love of music and how does it kind of still come through? Yeah. I have always played music 
growing up, my parents put me into piano lessons, which I like vehemently refused to go to, which I regret to this day. Um, I was such an asshole, a little kid. Uh, <laughs> we all were, we all were. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I played music throughout like grade school. Uh, you know, the recorder, classic stuff. I, I know how to play flute. I know how to play guitar. I can sing. I can play ukulele. What else? Nice. Some clarinet, maybe a couple other things. Um, but yeah, like it, that's, that's always been the through line in my life, but I never like thought of it as a profession at all. I tried to become YouTube famous in college. So that was fun. <laughs> if you search online, you could probably find it, which I, my, my FIVO colleagues have founded and have relentlessly yeah. brought that up if every single us, then, I know yeah. it's not hard. I'm like chronically online. Um, but yeah. And then, so I think like my parents wanted me to have music in my life. Uh, my dad was super like musically talented, if you like musically inclined. Um, but I don't think they ever thought of that as like a viable world, sure. uh, like stable income wise or stable career wise. So when I wanted to go, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer for as long as I can remember. And it's one of those things where the second that my parents brought it up of like, hey, maybe you should be a lawyer. That the second that they brought it up, I was like, I Man. don't want that. I don't yeah. want that anymore. Music, rebel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm good. Pass. Um, so yeah, so I was like an angsty 18 year old and I was like, you know, this would be so fun. Let's just go, let's just do this. And so I, I begged them to let me go. And yeah, it was a very, it was a very, very unique experience. It definitely wasn't like your standard college experience that you see in the movies, you know, but it made you grow up a lot just being in the New York, in New York city. Um, it made sure. you have to like learn how to be professional. Cause a lot of the, you know, the internship piece of it, you just, you just were like dropped into the deep end of, you know, quote unquote real, real world that you just had to like learn how to shape up a little bit faster. I would imagine the most. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was, I think my, I don't think my parents know what I do to this day, but uh, <laughs> well, let them do the podcast and then maybe do, they will yeah. learn all about it. Yeah, Here's a 30 go. second pitch family. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Hey, I know you are a very busy woman. We appreciate you taking the time to join us before we let you go. I want to hit you with our fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your short instant response. First up, do you remember your very first concert? Oh my gosh. Um, it was like Motion City soundtrack in Sayreville, New Jersey. It was something like so neat uh, and so like yeah, so random. Uh, yeah. Era. So Do you random. have a favorite concert? Oh, I've seen Beyonce a couple times. That was like life-changing this past one, uh, her Renaissance tour. Like I went with a like my best friend and we had a couple of drinks, but I, it was one of those experiences where I was like, I can't have possibly been that drunk. It was just like euphoric to the point where I'm like, I don't really remember. What I've heard this. I've heard it from other people about the same way. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, it was the best time of my life and I couldn't tell you what happened during it. That's amazing. Uh, all right. You mentioned uh, music. Uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? If you had to pick one. Oh, you know, if I'm feeling really indulgent, I really like Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me. It's like eight minutes wow. long. Wow. You can't sing. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, What's Up by Four Non Blondes. That's a, that's a crowd, crowd favorite. I bet. Uh, yeah. All right. What's one thing you really miss about New Jersey? Um, I miss the seasons and like some sort of dependable seasonality. Yeah, <laughs> sure. 
um, because I, it was 75 degrees the other day in Austin and now it's like 20 and raining. So it really, you just can't win here with the weather. Uh, you know? <laughs> Last question. What's your theme song? So cameras follow you all around filming your life uh, when you're not just in your home office. And uh, what's the, what's the song that plays over the opening credits of the Lillian Lee show? Oh my gosh, what a question. I and I gotta think about this one. Can I just say <laughs> I have to say something like Beyonce, some sort of like love on top, single ladies, even though I'm like very happily committed. <laughs> something like upbeat, uh upbeat kind of energy, motivational, something yeah. that, that you know you can't really frown during it. I love it. Uh, Lillian, uh, if people want to find you online or uh, follow along with FIVO, uh, give us all give us all the plugs. Anything you want to plug here? For sure. So FIVO is largely online at HelloFIVO um, and at FIVO.com. Um, and then you can find me on most places at Lillian Lee, L-I-L-L-I-A-N-L-E-E-E. -E -E. So three E's at the end. Um, three E's at the end. Yep. And you can probably also find my YouTube channel. I was going to say, and you can find her on YouTube. Paul's going to work after this. I got to trust it. <laughs> you can see like uh, me trying to play Beyonce on my guitar from like 10 years ago. We're going to have you play like the coffee break at EVMC this next year or something. Oh my gosh. We'll have you playing uh, Celine Dion. Yes. We're all Please. sipping caffeine. And this, this feels like everybody's nightmare, including mine. <laughs> <laughs> Lillian, thank you for the time today. We really, really great talking to you. Thank you so much, guys. It was really fun. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can find more episodes or subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews. It helps others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Venue Marketing Conference, a marketing conference that brings together diversified event and venue professionals to cultivate education, collaboration, and innovation for the growing sports and live entertainment industry. Find out more at eventvenuemarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.